Welcome to NFP, the Non-Fungible Podcast, with your host, D. Klein. Hey, this is the Non-Fungible Podcast, NFP with D. Klein. Now proudly sponsored by the Koi Network, where you can mint atomic NFTs on-chain and get paid when your creations attract real traffic. Now you can find this podcast and you can dive deeper into blockchain trends on Cointelegraph magazine. Just go to www.cointelegraph.com magazine. Today my guest is the artist and collector, Colin Dyer. Hey, Colin Dyer, Colin.eth. Welcome to NFP again. So good to see you again. Yeah, good to see you, Dee. How long has it been now? You were, I bet you it was way back in maybe December that we did an NFP episode. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, probably December, January, early this year. I think that was marking my sort of like year anniversary of being in the NFT game. So we sort of talked about that evolution and uh yeah uh uh it's i I, it was 2019 when i first minted and so yeah if it was would have been two years anniversary actually so we're coming up on two and a half now and uh yeah a lot of exciting things i mean we were just talking before the mic turned on you know how much that things are exploding in the last few weeks and i see all over twitter everybody's quitting their nine to five or (laughs) you know getting fired from their nine to five because (laughs) they just trade nfts all day uh and I mean, some of the numbers have just, you know, each time we talk, D, it's like I say the same thing over and over. I'm like, the numbers are so huge. I can't believe it. I remember the last time we talked, that was, you know, we just spent a lot of time going over like, wow, things are going for thousands of dollars now. How crazy is that? It used to be 10 or 100. Well, now add like two, three zeros and it's oh my true. God, things are going for 10 million now. And I, I mean, it's just, it's very funny how much it's grown. Absolutely. And you know, I want to give you a lot of credit for helping me with getting started. I mean, you were a huge part of encouraging me in the beginning days. And for those listening, Colin's a fantastic collector and also a huge help to people who are kind of getting into the space. That was my experience. So I really appreciate that. Well, you know, you came in at a golden time. I would would hazard a guess that artists entering right now don't get that kind of encouragement just because of the numbers involved, right? Yeah. Back then, it was like me, Second Realm, Robness, Daniel Pan. We were all willing to help, right? And we might yep. help two or three artists a day. So between the group of us, you know, you could sort of onboard like 10 or 20 people a week and get them into, you know, the right discords or telegrams or whatever they need to be, hook them up with the right people. Like if they're a photography person, I always send them in Mighty Moose's direction because he's been doing that a long time. So we had this whole thing going that was working, but... You know, just like anything that that has um, sort of limits on capacity, uh, our time was limited. And, you know, Daniel Pan now is going in-house somewhere. Uh, mm-hmm. for, for the most part, we, the, we just got overwhelmed, I think, all of us, with the sort of free help to artists. Mm-hmm. And you benefited from that. IHODL benefited from that. You know, there were some people that came in right around that time when you came in. They got some really good you know, there's some really good interfacing happening, really good information transfer from people that have been in the game to you guys. And that it's hard for that to happen these days. I mean, yep. um, but you yeah. still gave some great advice. Like I remember one of the things that you advised me about was like finding a style and being like recognizable and kind of honing that. And that's something I worked on a lot was trying to make it so that 
when I do create my art, it's something where people look at it and they know it's mine, right? And I think that's a really, really important thing for artists to work right. on doing. And it's kind of funny because the market kind of determines that for you. Like in your case, you did some of these deconstructed photographs, which I thought were really cool. I Honestly, I thought some of that was some of your best work and clearly guided with Robness's, uh, you know, clearly you had consulted with him because I could see uh, his influence there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But, you know, the sales there weren't nearly what they are with the zombie stuff. And so yes. when you wake up in the morning, what are you going to do? And, and I, I'm doing the same thing. I mean, I've been spending the last two days making these dose apes, which are, <laughs> yeah. you know, barely art. It's, you know, it's basically <laughs> just toggling on a, a photo mosh like free thing until cool stuff comes out. Uh, but it works and it sells and you kind of can't, uh, I mean, in the end, what are we doing here? We're trying to concentrate ETH, right? We're trying to turn these JPEGs into, into money. And so when it works, you kind of go, okay, that's the direction I'm going to go in. And for you, it's been zombies. Uh, you know, other people like Hackathon just have only one style, but many people I think do what you do and sort of try a few things. And then the one that hits, they're like, okay, I'll, that's the direction I'll go in. Right. I do still really like going back to that once in a while, but I've been so busy lately, you know, you only have time to focus on so many things. So, I mean, I've kind of narrowed down what I work on because of the time constrictions, right? Like I do like going back to say, for example, photos, like you said, and kind of breaking down and glitching and then drawing some stuff on them and kind of manipulating them and so forth. I enjoy that, but I just find, okay, I've got time for this. I got time for that. Like right now I'm doing this project with zombies right? and it's consuming all of my time, right? And the other part about that is I can't show anything because I'm working on this project. And so all of a sudden there's just like this sudden stop. There's no, it appears like there's no production right, whatsoever, right, right? Right. So it's a bit of a, it's a yeah, delicate everybody's balancing very, act. Everybody's busy. I'm finding that out too. I mean, I kind of just came up with this NFT roulette idea the other day. It's basically just a version of like mm -hmm. Jade's Rat Swapper, where instead of showing up with an NFT to trade and then you get an NFT that you pick back, you come with some ETH and you get a random uh, NFT out of the wallet, kind of like oh, a roulette okay. game. And you might happen upon something, you know, expensive, like a missile or something like that from super rare, or you might get something a little more quotidian, just depending on the roll of the dice. So, you know, me and a few developers are going back and forth and I'm learning how difficult or impossible it is to truly do on-chain ra randomization, be able to do mm -hmm. a random call on-chain. Typically you've got to call something off the chain and then your contract isn't truly independent i mean it's kind of tied to some website or some centralized thing uh and, and bottom line it's very hard for me to find people that want to work on it it's a good idea it's going to make money i've got art to throw in the wallet but everybody i talk to who's a good dev is just like yeah i'm three projects deep and <laughs> everybody's throwing eth at me and and I, you know i have the same problem in that people come to me for legal work and i don't generally i don't like to do it there's liability involved and I don't have the proper insurance and I'm not really an expert in, you know, modern contract law. My, my expertise is a few years old, but uh, you know, I still try to do it when I can, but people come to me and say, Hey, look, how much ETH do you want? Look at this contract. And it's like, I just don't want to do it. I don't need the ETH. And you know, if I get a second, I'll look at it for 15 minutes and give you a quick digest. But you know, everybody's so busy. It's hard to, and I, I have so many people like you D that are in my DMS Jay, I hodl, they have their own projects they're starting, but it's very hard to step out of our own little worlds and kind of help somebody else these days because we're all so busy. Mm -hmm. Speaking of busy though, I don't know if you knew this, but 
for the first time in my entire teaching career, because you knew I was a teacher, right? Yeah, yeah. For the first time in my teaching career, this past September, I reduced my teaching time. I have Wednesdays off now. Wow, yeah, that's awesome. Because of NFTs. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I mean, it's it's really good to have people that are NF NFTs teaching younger people because there's so much bad. I mean, if you go on Facebook, it's like, oh, NFTs yeah. are ruining the environment. And it's great to have people like you and Jay that are working with uh, younger people. And, and to some degree, it's good that you two that people like you haven't gotten into nfts and just gotten fabulously wealthy and quit your jobs and all that right you're you're actually getting to feed some of this information you're finding out back to these younger people who you know are, are really gonna they're gonna grow up in a world of nfts i mean i imagine their car insurance and everything will be on an nft right if you get pulled over in five years like, oh hey i'm gonna grab my phone and get on ether scan okay there we go there's my car insurance that kind <laughs> yeah. of thing and they're super curious so about it's it. cool I mean, you guys It'll often come up in like casual conversation, you know, like lunch hour or whatever. Kids will ask me about it. They're very interested. Yeah, I bet. Right? I right. bet. Yeah. I have a lot of people at like when I go to get stuff framed, these traditional art gallery guys uh, or and gals are very interested, but they're really reticent to jump in. But I just put them, I turn on super rare. I show them the feed and I show them the numbers involved. And usually that you know, in, interest follows when they see those kind of numbers because they just yeah. or what's going. I mean, you can get a really nice piece of art for your wall for 50 grand, right? And so they're dealing with getting a 10% piece of that. So they, you know, work chaperone a buyer for a week or two and they get five grand. I mean, in NFTs, you can make that before noon. So yeah. <laughs> they see that. And I think they're kind of, it's a lot of them are licking their chops. Some of them are, I mean, some of them like this funny episode with, uh, the dose punks and the Playski guy, okay. right? Have you have you followed that? No, educate so, me on this. So Playski is basically like a photo mosh. It's just a mm. free open source thing that does uh, image manipulation. Okay, let me look um, this up a second. Playski, like just spelled Playski, yeah, like ASCII but with play. Oh, P -L -A -Y -S -C -I -I. okay. P l a y s c i i, and all it does basically is it pixelates stuff, and instead of the pixels being a solid color, the pixels are a character. So okay. they're, they can be Japanese characters. They I see, I see. Whatever. And that's sort of the foundation of Max Capacity's Dose Punks and what I've been doing with Dose Apes. You know, it's sort of like this more gentlemanly uh, photo mosh. But anyway- Oh man, guy, I got to play with this, Colin. Oh, it's awesome, dude. It's awesome. Um, but yeah, this guy who released the good version of it for free got all pissed off when NFT people came, like realized Max Capacity was making all his money off it and shut the site down and got all pissy. And- <laughs> And I'm like looking at him like, dude, you're leaving money on the table. Like, look at what Photomosh did and how brilliant it was. Mm -hmm. Free resource, anybody can use anytime and it works great. And if you want the awesome, you know, the Cadillac version, 20, 30 bucks, whatever, and you got it for, you know, a long time. It's a great yeah. model. Money just rolls in. They help the community that can't pay for it and the ones that can get the really cool version. And this guy could have done that, but instead he did this real boomer era, like, you know, <laughs> ostrich in the sand. His website literally says like, I'm going to be down until these NFT people go away. And <laughs> so what is this then? What is vectorpoem.com? Is it basically the same app? Yeah, it's his app. I mean, I think it's kind of back up now provisionally, but you can find many other things that do it. Like, like I said, the basic thing is just pixelate, and have the pixels be characters. So you just find something, different character sets. There are all yep. sorts of forks of this. And uh, if you want DM me and I'll give you a free website that, that does the same thing that I'm using for the Dose Apes. Um, Definitely, yeah, I, will, I will bug you after the uh, show. 
it's just, it's just kind of interesting, right? I mean, you have the, the photo mosh, which was a really good sure. way of engaging the community. They're making money. The community is getting a free resource and they're happy. And then you got this guy on the other hand who just is completely stuck in the 80s. And it's like, hey, I'm going to make a free tool that you can use. Oh, people are using my free tool. Now I'm pissed. It's like, what is <laughs> so strange, right? Like, I mean, clearly freemium is the way things have gone. I mean, look at Fortnite or whatever, right? That's how marketing works now yeah 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 so it's odd that he would be appalled but i find the whole kind of negative reaction to nfts very puzzling yeah i mean i think it's kind of like the bitcoin thing where people have they're too late and so it's easier in their mind just for their own safe you know their own yeah, peace okay. of mind to just say oh i don't like it um i don't want to be any part of it uh and, you know, with NFTs, I think people probably look at the price of CryptoPunks and assume like, oh, I'm way too late. But mm. uh, I mean, you and I know that we're so, so early. I mean, totally. Yeah. You are it's not fun. too we're, late. If you're listening to this for the first time and you've never heard of NFTs, you are not too late. Yeah. I mean, we were talking about Rare Pepe's. You brought that up. Mm. And I mean, we're doing crypto archaeology. It feels like going back in time <laughs> 4,000 years. Like, I feel like I'm entering King Tut's tomb when I'm using <laughs> Counterparty. And it's literally five years old. I mean, it's right. it's as old as a kindergartner. And in crypto time, that's eons. <laughs> yes. These are really cool. I really like your Dos Satoshi. That one's nice. Oh, yeah, thanks. You know what hit really hard was the Dos Pepe. I only made okay. 20 of them. I put it on Counterparty, vaulted a few of them on ETH, and yeah. uh, that thing went really well. I made a zombie Pepe on Rarible. It didn't get any any interest. You know, Rarible's a ghost town these days, and yeah. it's funny. We keep getting these emails from them like, oh, we're approving people easier. Oh, we're doing lazy minting. And I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm looking at you guys' volumes, and there's there's – you're trying to sell a hamburger and there's no customers coming in the door. Like, mm -hmm. you know, they need to retool that site entirely. And just the kickback thing, like early in rareable days, you could buy something for an ETH and you'd get kickbacks of rarity coin that was like, yeah. a half ETH. so it you're was like, totally oh. decent. I remember raving about it. Cause I was like, I make a piece of art on there. I sell it for 50 bucks. I get 50 bucks in tokens too. You know what yeah. I mean? And it was amazing. And I collect your art for 50 bucks. And then a week later, I get the same 50 bucks back. I mean, it just yeah. works for everybody. But then, you know, the, the rewards went from, you know, sort of half an ETH per an ETH transaction to 0.1 to 0.05. And now the kickbacks are minuscule. And I think that was the real innovation of that platform. And yes. now that they're so watered down, what's my incentive to leave open sea? I mean, that's it's true. That's, I ask that question a lot because I see I see a lot of people trying to drag people off open sea. Uh, whether it's like the v.cent v platform mm. where they've got their NF tweets cloistered, you know, they're not on OpenSea. You've got to have a, a Twitter account to get to them. They're not really on the blockchain in a true sense. Um, and, and I could name a bunch of names where they're trying to pull you off of OpenSea. And I'm more interested in mechanisms for getting stuff on OpenSea. Mm -hmm. Like, look what happened with wrapping CryptoPunks, right? You get right. them off the larva site, and all of a sudden they're trading like crazy. Same thing with Rare Pepe's. Get them off of this counterparty you know, grandpa platform, put them on ETH and all the, the values go up 10, 100 times. I think the same thing could happen for NF tweets, but I see a lot of people pull it, pushing in the other direction. You know, hey, Colin, come check out my new cool platform. You know, I, uh, what was it? Pix, Pix, little Pix, uh, I shouldn't name names, but yeah, a, a lot of that happens where people are just saying, oh, here's come to my platform. Here's some incentives. And I'm like, you know, Rarible tried that and it flamed out pretty quick. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the, the Tez platform is still doing well. They have their own audience and stuff, but yeah, um, yeah I'm, I'm, I've, what do you think of all these ones? Like I haven't actually even really 
touched Solana? Oh, I haven't either. Yeah. What do you I, think of it? I mean, I get sick of dealing with new blockchains. Well, I already have like that's how many of these pop down things and then how many private keys stored in different places. <laughs> uh, and I found really like in terms of flipping art, it doesn't, it only really works on ETH. Like mm. I, I flipped a few things on Tez. I made a, you know, a couple hundred bucks, but in terms of making the big bucks, it's on ETH. It's true. And uh, what I use those smaller platforms for is like a creative outlet. Like I use mm. NFT showroom on Hive when I've made something that I'm just like, you know, it's never really going to hit with royalties. It's, it's probably not worth me hard minting it, throwing 50 bucks into it, but I would like to put it on chain and just have it, you know, be able to drop a link to it in six months and say, look what I minted that back then. Right. And so I'll do that on Hive or, or something, but right. yeah. I think we've got to move towards interoperability. Like that's why, you know, like this sponsor of mine, Koi, why I like that concept, because it's all about the interoperability. It's about going, yeah, you can put this on ETH or you can bridge it over to something else. You know, like yeah. to me that just, it's forward thinking rather than trying to be like, you know, you see it in the corporate world, right? You see companies that go, oh, hey, we've got our own proprietary solution to this, right? And a right. few do really well with that, a few, right? right. But there will be constantly other people kind of coming up with some other proprietary solution and people are like, forget it. I don't want to have another proprietary set of, I don't know, give me an, I'll give you an example, tablets, you know, you're going to have other chargers, you're going to have other, you know, another ecosystem, forget it. You don't want it, right? You want it just yeah. simple, right? right? So to me, it makes sense for it to just interoperate. That to me, seems to be the way to go. And all these people trying to just take up land that's, it feels like they're trying to just set up real estate without any real draw to it in some cases. Yeah, I mean, I love what you were talking about earlier before the before we started recording about putting images entirely on chain. I mean, oh, it, that's the freaking awesome part about. There's, a, there's a quote I love. I can't I can't say it exactly, but it's something like, you know, the the relationship between the art and the token is like a mental construct. You know, like we mm. believe it, therefore it is. Mm -hmm. But you know, the second whatever platform is hosting the image goes down, you know, you're in big trouble. I mean, take counterparty, for example, super right. susceptible. Like I host my images on for counterparty on Imgur, right? Okay. And, and the, and that blockchain is pretty lightweight. So it just calls a website and says what's on that website. And that's what it shows for the NFT. So I could sell a bunch of NFTs, go back on Imgur, delete the image and everybody's screwed. Right. Right. Like, yeah. It, it, and it, and yeah, and but you get savvy people now that are the opposite that want artists to lock metadata and things like that. I've heard of like collectors insisting that metadata gets locked. So yeah. uh, you know you run the full spectrum there, and it, of course, depending on the blockchain you're working with, you have different amounts of power. Uh, certainly, you're not going to put a full image on Counterparty. It just you can't pack it on that slim little chain. Right. Well, it is a limitation. Like what I'm doing with this project I'm doing right now with Atomic Zombies on Koi. And it does, it can be bridged to Ethereum, which is the greatest thing. Like you can move these back and forth as much as you wish. Uh, there's of course a gas fee involved in doing that, right? But you right. do have the freedom to do that. But yeah, they're permanent. Like it's not something where it's a token pointing to IPFS. It's literally that image is permanently stored on the yeah, blockchain. Like, like I imagine, I mean, I don't know if this is true or not, but probably with all these image hosting issues, the really early crypto art on ETH in 50 years, all they're going to see is the caption, you know, the token <laughs> number, and maybe be able to reach a tweet 
that references it so they can see the actual images, right? But whether there'll actually be an image still hosted there is Don't you think wrong. someone will come up with something that backs it all up onto a blockchain somewhere? Well, I, IPFS I is good. IPFS, yeah. if you can get it on there, that's good. But, uh, you know, I, I'm not fully tooled up on how all that works. I know it a little Neither bit. I. Um, some, I, I know that like Airweave hosts IPFS. So what, that's how super- That's the thing that, that that Koi network is using Airweave, right? So, so yeah, what if Airweave goes down? Like, you know, the, uh, yeah. Well, that's valid. You're That's true. Yeah. So I, I just imagine in 50 years, they're going to be looking at a lot of captions. Because <laughs> that text this will be there, no problem. Describing an image I used to have. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, I really hope that doesn't happen. I mean, in oh. the case of Arweave, I mean, it is a blockchain. I mean, for it to like disappear entirely would be pretty difficult. But it, this actually has happened already. A lot of the electronic art created in the 80s and 90s, mm -hmm. there are these museum curators that keep this stuff up and they literally have to go out and find these 90s PC cards to make these things run. I mean, there's no standardization. And I've seen articles where these guys beg, you know, please use some standards. Don't, don't do like a single pot, like make your own program make your own art thing and it's and it's all timed according to this particular card and these guys <laughs> right. do, they do phenomenal things to keep this art going uh but some of it just goes by the wayside because they yep. can't find a particular part for it that they need and for example if, my son is huge into retro uh, video games and stuff uh, and he and a crew of guys they actually preserved all of these flash games that were going to disappear and it was a crew of about I think it was maybe six people, he okay. and a crew of about five, six people. And he literally made a proprietary like shockwave engine and a flash engine that would keep right. this stuff. So if you could download these flash games and they have like literally like a whole museum of these old games that they've yeah. preserved because wow, cool. when flash went by the wayside, he was, he was, he loves these games. He's nostalgic about them. He's like, oh, these were things I played when I was five years old. I right. want to keep them. I want to be able to go back and play them and laugh about it and whatever. And so right. these guys literally built it from nothing just to preserve it. But you're right. If they had not happened to do that, be gone. Or, like, or imagine gone. a curator in 20 years who has to keep that thing going, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I so, mean, it's, it, yeah. It, it'll be interesting to see what becomes of all this in, in the future. But yeah, um, one of the things that I wanted to talk about today was, you know, I've realized recently, and I have to give Robinus a lot of credit, a lot of what we're doing with trash art that we talked about last time on the show, yeah. remixing, you know, willingness to use free tools, uh, willingness to make low effort NFTs, things like that. That was that all exactly happened in 2016, 2017 with Rare Pepe's. Like okay. they they did all that stuff. They didn't care about IP rights. You know, they riffed on anything, whether it be uh, you know from a, the Rolling Stones logo to anything, got riffed on. And I mean, they even riffed on the creator of Pepe's a little bit, Matt Fury, sure. like reserve the card for him kind of tongue in cheek. Um, and so, yeah, I sort of, it, 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 I've become educated since we last talked and Robinus always talked about it, that, you know, there was a lot going on with rare Pepe's and I was always like, oh, shut up, dude. That's, that's, <laughs> old, that's way old news and I'm not into green frog. And, and at first when I encountered Pepe's, I heard a lot about like the right using them, like the- Yeah, the, they'd always had kind of that negative- and, and I think uh, the idea is just that like Pepe is like, we are all Pepe in a way. Like we all, we all know who Pepe is. We know what his personality is like, like we're familiar with his expressions and I'm sure it's useful for any group of people 
It's probably just that their use of it was especially inflammatory. But anyway, that turned me off at first. I kind of got beyond that. Um, but it's interesting to realize how deep this sort of remix culture goes and how much trash art was sort of just a redo of, of Pepe's. But instead of focusing on a green frog, it was focusing on a trash can. Like equally- But it also, you know, it kind of recaptured Pepe in a, in a positive way and took it out of that kind of negative image, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. I mean, I, yeah, I don't know about the rights appropriation of Pepe. I, I, I don't. I know Matt Fury is concerned about that, and other people are too. And it, it was kind of like an easy way to turn off to it when I first started it. But yeah, getting into it now, it's really cool to see the stuff they were doing back then and the riffing they were doing, and basically the complete disregard for anything like copyright law, right? They right. Did, and and they also had their own royalty system before royalties, right? Mm -hmm. So our for us, you and me, royalties are make some art slap a 10% tariff on it, send it out into the world. And, and as long as it's on that platform, you get your tariff for the rest of the of your life. What those guys did was make a multi-eds and decide, okay, 50, 100, 1,000, whatever, and release some into the world and then keep them quite a few, 50%, sometimes 80%, and allow the values to accrue on the open market and then slowly release them over time. Or like what people are doing now with pepedrops.io, release the whole chunk at a time and let people bid on them and uh essentially Sounds like ripple yeah i kind of like that it's, <laughs> i don't know but it's it's certainly like a diy royalty thing it's yeah. definitely escrowing your own like art and it's, it's just interesting to see because now it's five years yeah. later they're still cashing in there's still people that own 80 90 of their token and and able to cash in huge i mean so it's it's funny to see the two royalty systems right completely different but they both allow artists to benefit off old work like you right know, five six ten at least for a period of time for a period of time right and i mean with with pepe's there's no reason why you couldn't hold on to your supply for 100 years and as long as the bitcoin blockchain is going uh they'll have value you'll be able to trade them so I, I think that's interesting it's just a totally you know they devised that kind of out of whole cloth right mm -hmm. it was just mm -hmm. and and the eth guys did a whole different thing and it's interesting to compare how they function and and, and, you know, the results in the market, for instance, in rare Pepe's, there's a lot of concern. There's a lot of talk about what the major holders, um, attitude is right. People will say, oh yeah, that guy's got, he's got 70 out of a hundred, but he's really all about keeping the, the price high and he's guaranteed. He's not going to release more than one per month, something like that. Right. Okay. It's all this sort of gentleman agreement. There's nothing contractual, nothing in writing. The guy could certainly dump them all in the market in a second, but they, this community is five years old. They all know each other. So it's this, uh, it's a personalities game too, that I'm, I'm just starting to be privy to. I'm super new in that game, but, um, yeah, it's funny to see they, you know, the royalties have this component of socialness to it. Is the guy that's holding the major amount somebody we trust to sort of do the right thing, so to speak, or, you know, do the predictable thing is probably a better way of putting it. What's a valuable rare Pepe trading at right now? I don't even know. Yeah, I mean, you can get like, the, the, there's a one called a modern Pepe I really like that's very rare. It's just kind of like six lines. I think that's around 15. The The floor for Pepe's is all over the place. So a Pepe Basquiat a month ago was 30 ETH. Today, you could pick one up for about four or five. Um, so some people got completely wrecked. 
And it's part of it is a function of this royalty system. You know, there's a certain amount on the market in a given time. A month ago, there was a huge flood in keyboard monkey. All these guys came in and they snatched the supply and the prices went high. And anybody that's sitting on, say, a Pepe Basquiat, seeing it go to 30 ETH, you know, within a week, they're going, get that into a ETH vault, get it out there for sale. And so whenever these big sales happen, there's a, a big drop afterwards as everybody seeks to go and get the same kind of sale. So the floor for Rare Pepe's is, uh, I mean, it's it's like nothing I've ever seen. It's not smooth at all. It's, <laughs> it's a complete gamble. I mean, I have a Pepe Pearl I spent seven ETH for. You can pick one up now for three. Uh, I got a Salvatore Pepe for 13. Two days later, I sold it for 25. I made a Bitcoin, wow. in, Bitcoin in two days. So 12, yeah. 12 ETH in two days. 12 ETH profit in two days. <laughs> yeah. So the shit is, wow. I mean, it's it's like what happens on ETH, but, you know, on acid and <laughs> uh, meth at the same time or something. Like, it's fucking insane. And it must be really addictive and fun, though. It I, is I, because I'm a numbers guy. I love sure. analysis. Like, on ETH, when I'm doing analysis, it's like, okay, new art dropped. Now I'm looking at the Twitter profile. I'm looking at their their artist website. I'm looking at how many followers they have, who they have, what they're posting about, what kind of blockchains they mint on, all that sort of thing. Whereas with Pepe's, you just get into the numbers. You're like, boom, okay, how many are issued? How many, what's the distribution? Who's holding that distribution, right? And it's it becomes, there's a lot of data crunching you can do to figure out what this thing is worth. And, um, and sometimes you got to do it real quick. You know, something drops in, you know, the best one is the Satoshi. That's the rookie card. It was trading at 200 ETH a couple of weeks back. Now it's Whoa. trading closer to 100 ETH and okay. there's 300 of them. So, you know, the market cap just on that one card, 100 ETH times 300, you know, many, many millions of dollars. No kidding. So, yeah. So it's it's an interesting game, the Rare Prepe's game. But, you know, I feel comfortable playing it because... I know anything I overpay for, not a problem. I'm going to hold it and values are going to go up because it's just such a, it's such a scarce asset. And it was really the only one. And there were ones before it, there were these like Bitcoins and Twitter eggs and things, but frankly, they suck. And, and that's what CryptoPunks kind of said for a while. They said, oh yeah, there were these things before I was like rare Pepe's, but they suck, but they didn't, they were actually quite cool. But the Bitcoins and the Twitter eggs to me, not interesting, but they are previous in time. And it could, to some investors, they're worth hundreds of ETH. You know, I've found my experience in crypto in general is if you're not happy with the price of something, just wait. And yeah. at some yeah. point, it'll be something you're happy with. Well, and sometimes you use, you can use money as a bait. Like my one of my best paintings on my wall is Max Osiris that I is black and white. I got it from his literally it was at his mom's house and I hit him up for it. It was on Sachi art. And he's like, no way I could part with that. That's my last black and white. You know, I sold off all the others keeping that one. So I said, okay, Max, I got five grand for you. I'm just going to set it aside and you let me know if you ever want it. If you don't, no big deal. If you ever need it, I got it for that painting. Okay. Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to run up the numbers because it's just going to, you know, get into the ridiculous range, but I'll just put this, you know, sort of like a, like a buy order and I'll leave it. And yep. a couple of months later, he was heading off to some crypto art conference and, you know, wanted to go in style and boom, 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 we made a deal. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you, you definitely money and patience are things that are good for the collector to be able to use. Right. And, sure. and you're playing off other people's greed, right? Like that's, 
they like the art, but they like the ETH too. So you got to balance that. (laughs) Totally. Speaking of conferences, are you doing NFT in NYC? No, I'm not. I'm really excited that Wizard X is going. He's going to do a reveal there. Um, I'm, yeah, no, I I would like to, but um, just a little too much money, a little too far away. I'm over in California. I'm I'm thinking about putting together like a small West Coast thing early next Mm. year. Um, Stella Bell really wants to do like a physical show somewhere like San Diego. I wouldn't mind bringing a lot of these physicals I've collected out and showing them around. And I know a lot of the trash art people are kind of, you know, we've known each other for two years now, but never met in person. So it'd be nice to do that. So I'm, I'm down for to, that. I'll, I'll try to make it there. Yeah. I'm still formulating it. I, it was funny. I, I was with Stella Bell and I was like, Oh yeah, January, February, let's do it. My wife walks in and she's like, yeah, I'm doing February. So I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be January. So I have a few like life constraints I'm working around, but yeah. I would like to do something in San Diego in January. Right now it's very provisional. You know, I want to find a real cheap conference room, no Hiltons or anything, just something, you know, nice and trashy that we can get together <laughs> and put some art on the walls and look at it. And, you know, our kind of idea was to leave out the digital art, like not oh, do, not do the bunch of screens and wires and shit everywhere, just analog art on the wall you know and people meeting up and you know you could bring a laptop whatever things like that but not get into the whole screens game because that's just you know the security issues it costs a lot and to me it's just not as good of an it's not as wholesome of an experience as walking up to a a real piece of art where you know you can see it from the side you can see the side of the canvas that kind of draws you in and ignites your interest and you get that full view so anyway, these ideas are very uh, inchoate at this point, but it may happen. It's and, very and part interesting of why it's so hearing fun. you say that. It's like, eh, digital art. <laughs> well, I mean, this is my physicals.art is my like, I mean, you've seen that website, right? That's my thing I'm building. And it's like with the digital art, I buy and sell it, right? So it, sure. it, it generally makes the money. With the physicals, I haven't sold a single one. So, and I'm spending big money on these sometimes. So it's a hole in the bucket that, does, you know, it, it just goes out. Um, mm-hmm. but I've been able to get some really, you know, stuff that I don't even discuss online for security reasons. Like I've gotten some really nice stuff. Um, and it's really enjoyable. I love having it in the house. It really, um, it, it really improves my space and I'd love to be able to show it. Um, uh, but you know, there's some security issues and things I have to deal with, but yeah, we'd like to do something down in down in San Diego. I think that'd be fun. And it's close to Robness too. Like the, you know, anything you're going to do with trash art, got to have Robness. And San Diego's right in his neighborhood. I'm going to have to start uh, dabbling in physical art again, I think. You've piqued my interest. Yeah, well, see, my whole thesis, my thesis is, let me back up a step. The problem with physical art is when I, if I get a piece uh, and and 20 years later, I want to go sell it, the guy who's going to buy it from me wants it authenticated. And that's not Mm. easy. That's expensive. I got to go send it to Paris. It's going to take a long time and a lot of money. And at the end of the day, people may disagree as to whether it's authentic, right? You you may, there are people who spend a lot of money on a Pollock and ended up not being a Pollock. Um, So with digital art, the nice thing is we can have a pair. Like I love the power of the pair. I've got my physical art right here. It's got all the coolness of physical art. It's, it can be damaged. It's fragile. Uh, it, it goes on the wall and improves my physical space. People will come into my house and ask about it. But then I have the digital side too, so that when I go to sell that piece in 10 years, the provenance is clean, right? It's like, there's a mint from the artist's known wallet. They wrote the caption and there's a picture of that physical. I don't know. So how do you prove the link between the two? Um, 
I mean, how do I prove that the physical is not a forgery of that NFT? Yeah. Um, I don't know that there's any way to do that concretely. I mean, certainly you could do a photographic analysis and make sure it wasn't a photo of a fake. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I don't know the answers to all those questions, but I do know you're going to be better off dealing with your buyer in 20 years when you got the NFT as well. And it's minted from that wallet associated with that artist. Sure, I they like could... the potential of like NFC technology. If you can somehow securely have like an NFC chip in the artwork somehow. Yeah, and that's the people who've trademarked the term crypto art. That's what they did. They were selling pieces of art that had like a little URL, whatever code thing. And you could store some amount of cryptocurrency like in the physical art, right? Mm -hmm. It was a real different approach, but they're the ones that actually own the trademark to crypto art. I think that's cryptoart.com. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, you know, you evolve that. And now you've got like these charged particles idea, which is sort of like the digital equivalent of that, where you can add stuff to the vault with the NFT and you know, add ETH and stuff like that to it. But yeah, back to your point, physical art is very satisfying and, you know, it's stuff can happen to it. You know, you take it to a frame shop and you pick it up and it's all effed up and you're like, oh my God, like I can never undo that. Right. Art Gnome had a post the other day where he left a nice piece by the window and it got all wet and the paper got all yellow. Like you have to care for these pieces, almost like a pet. Um, and, you know, in my house, I have a two-year-old running around. So I'm very conscious about All where of your paintings are eight feet high. Exactly. <laughs> and, the, and the really good stuff's in the bedroom with the door closed. So he doesn't yeah. go in there because I, I can't have it be destroyed. Um, but yeah, it, it takes some work, but I think there's real power in the pair. And it's not my idea. If somebody came up with the idea of digital back in the day, I think Fred from Pixios came up with that, mm -hmm. um, which was kind of like physical art being sold on the blockchain. But, you know, my idea is just simple. Just have the NFT with the physical. And when you go to sell the physical, it's, it's a big value add. Or from the perspective of the digital people, it's a value add when you sell the NFT, right? Hey, Dave, I'm going to sell you this NFT that Robin has made, plus I've got the physical original of it. Oh, that adds a lot of value. So yeah. I see the pair as being, you know, really powerful. And in some cases, I've had to go back and spend big bucks to get, you know, one, one or the other side of the pair. But you know what it started out as, Dave? Sorry, I'm going long, but I'll be quick. In some cases, I found that people were selling NFTs for thousands, and I could get the painting for hundreds. Mm -hmm. it was just simple arbitrage i mean pagiflora on super rare five six seven eth you can go on their website and pick up a painting one of one for 300 bucks 400 mm. bucks same thing exact same thing that's on super rare so that's how i started getting into physicals i was just cheap and poor and then as i as i sort of got a little more uh you know liquidity i, I stayed into it but it's there's arbitrage opportunities there that are that are really big that's cool. Tell me more about physicals art, physicals.art. Um, cool. So yeah, it's a, it's a website I put together to display all the physical art that I've collected. And it basically gives you a picture of the physical art mm -hmm. with the, with its dimensions. So you see a, a, a ruler there next to it. So you can really easily see, is this thing big or small? You don't have the Amazon problem where you buy something and it shows up and it's teeny weeny. <laughs> um, uh, and then you've got a link to the NFT there too. Uh, with usually a little bit of detail about how do they make it? Is it, you know, ink on paper? Is it acrylic? Is it pen? Um, and and some of the neatest stuff that I really like is where the artist, like there's a Yusemon where 
the NFT version is kind of like a remix of the physical, right? So there's a couple categories within there. You have ones where it's just a picture of the physical, same thing, exactly. you're just trying to make it as much like the, the thing as possible. But there are others that are remixed versions where the artist is kind of taking liberties on their own physical piece and you know photo moshed it or animated it or whatever. And I think that is really cool because it, you know, with those two pieces, that physical and the NFT, you're showcasing a lot of that talent, right? Everything from what they can do with the brush to what they can do with the mouse, you know, all in one piece. And I think that's that, that's really cool. Yeah, I'm looking at the one with Jason Chambers here. That's a self-doubt piece and you have it behind you there. Yeah, yeah, right? it's above the TV. That's, that's uh, like my... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you have the NFT, which again, it is slightly remixed in terms of there's like a colorization on it. and Right, right. right? So, so it that's, gives that NFT a kind of a unique, its own entity in itself. Yep, yep, totally. I, and I really dig those. I really, you know, I'll, I'll take whatever I can get as far. And sometimes the artist won't make an NFT. I'm coming, I'm, I'm, it's funny, I'm buying a physical from Nori Harmon right now. Mm. And he, in his practice, likes to keep the physical art and the digital art separate. He makes the digital oh, okay. art digitally. He doesn't, to, you know, well, I don't want to talk about his process because I don't know it, but I think for the most part, his digital creations are purely digital. They're made on a, 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 a pad of some kind. And his, his, his regular art is traditional art. And I asked him, well, will you make me an NFT? You know, my whole purpose here with the website. And he really wasn't into it. He was like, you know, it's going to cost a lot. It's going to be this whole process. I got to make sure it's done right. And so I just ended up saying, you know, forget about it. Just give me the physical. Um, but yeah, you have to really as with all things in art, you have to contend with the artists themselves and, and where they are in the, in the world too. I mean, I've had pieces shipped from Peru and pieces that I, you know, customs gave me all sorts of trouble about. And uh, so, yeah, there's, it's, it's kind of a fun cat and mouse game, right? In the same way that you troll around digital galleries, looking for good deals, uh, the same kind of thing happens in physical art. So see, I get this vibe from you. It's almost like it's scratching like some kind of like gambler's itch almost. Do you know what I mean? Like there's kind of a, do you know what I'm talking about? With the physicals you mean? Well, with the buying the art and flipping it. Cause that's like a big part of what you do, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the gambling is a hard analogy and here's why, but it's true. The flips are stochastic. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. But for me, the gambler, the most he can do is just reduce the house edge, right? The okay. very best guy at blackjack is just even odds with the house. And I like to think that I'm better than the house. Like, I like to think that the house is kind of like people's current appreciation of what are good artists today. And I like to be two weeks or three weeks or a couple months earlier than that and say, look, I know that's good art. I've verified that it's authentic and I'm going to take a gamble on it. And I believe in my, um, my taste right and it's not that i'm like some cultured guy who has great taste it's just that i've been through the ringer so much that i know what sells right i know what the market likes the market likes moondies the market likes satoshis the market likes anonymous masks i mean i i know what sells right the market doesn't like cool abstracts the market doesn't like photographs it's too bad but it's just what it is um mm -hmm. and so being trained in that over time uh, i've honed it to the point where i don't see it like gambling i see it more like investing right and i've Makes i've sense. got i'm not just looking in the paper at what's going up i'm getting to know the ceo i'm getting to know like how long he's going to be at the company who his cfo is is he screwing around with the secretary right i don't know all the inside stuff um, and, and i don't actually invest in that many artists i mean the, the funny thing about me is i go pretty deep not broad on super rare for instance i think i've only collected a total of like 12 artists and i've i've run a lot of eth in and out of that platform i've 
you know, for tax reasons, I won't mention any numbers, but uh, I don't, it's only about 12 artists that I really focus on. And I just, you know, like Yusuman came in early, people were kind of like, his floor was all over the place. And I just basically staked a claim and said, anything you put out, I don't, I don't care. Anything you put out, I'll pay at least a half an eighth for. So anything you put out, instantly a half eighth bid. And a lot of times people were snoozing and I'd get it. And then, you know, put those things back on the market for an eighth or two later. Um, and yeah, it, it's, it's a fun interchange. It's fun, D, because sometimes I can wear the artist hat. Like today, I'm doing this whole dose apes thing. It's, you know, I really like that part, but I'm really better at the collecting part. <laughs> That's cool. Really interesting. You know, I was just thinking about, uh, well, I lost my train of thought now. Mm, I know. When you talk about, you know, what sells, what in your opinion, for people who are listening, who are like, you know, hey, you know, I want to work on getting better at, you know, tapping into the market. What are you seeing in terms of the direction that the market's moving with this stuff? Well, it's very platform dependent, right? So an X copy on super rare is going to be worth 10 to 100 times more than an X copy on known origin, which will in turn be worth 10 or 100 times more than one on rareable. Um, so yeah you know the the first step i think in assessing the value of a new piece of work is where it was minted and uh, i guess that's a little unfortunate it's kind of falling into the old gallery logic right if it's in a fancy new york gallery it's worth a lot of money but if it's in a crappy nebraska gallery it's not that's not always true of course but um yeah the direction i'm seeing is just a lot of concentration into the most prominent markets for nfts and i those are basically Super rare, known origin, and gateway, right? Those are kind of the, the three biggies. Um, in terms of like what's changed in the last year since we talked that I think is moving the market, a lot of the new money coming in, corporate money, of course, when you've got Visa buying punks, they've, they've got deep pockets. Um, but, oh, shit, I just lost my train of thought too. Um, oh, the fractionalization thing. I think that's I think that's causing all that that's it's changing the market where you can buy a little piece of something right I can I can't afford to buy that Satoshi rookie card I told you about it's 100 ETH I can't I don't have that much ETH but I can buy fractions of it and so when the fraction price drops down uh, I pick up as many fractions as I can get and people have fractionalized punks and they have fractionalized moon cats and all this stuff and so that's a new route for the small dollar investor to sort of get in on something big, like an X copy, right? The guy just entering NFTs right now is not gonna have the resources to get an X copy, but they can always, if they're smart, um, get a shard of an X copy work and anticipate that that might go up. Or where, you know, where they, are you like, picking up these fractionalized parts of works? Uh, Fractional.art is the big one nowadays. Mm -hmm. There used to be a, a platform called NiftyX. Uh, they're being bought or somehow changing their format right now. Uh, so they're they're kind of half uh, alive. But uh, Fractional.art is where a lot of that's happening. And yeah, you can make a vault and put as many different things into it as you want. I'm my One of my things I want to do in the next couple of weeks is make a Robness vault because I have things from early Robness, like like uh, back in the rare Pepe days, to like early, you know, a couple of years later than that, early super rare mints, like 2019, 2020, and then all the way up to the stuff he's done in the last year. 
So I could put together a vault of four or five or six works that would really re represent like the compendium of, you know, what he can do, stick that in a vault, you know, keep half the shares and let the other half trade and then see what happens. So, you know, that that's a new format for trading art that we weren't really doing much of a year ago. Interesting. Hmm. So, yeah, I can see that becoming a trend just because of the affordability element, like you mentioned. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's it's a way. Yeah, I mean, nobody, very few people can buy a punk, but you can always buy shards of a punk, right? So sure. that's that's probably a pretty smart move, and versus going and looking for you know, say the next X copy or something like that. Right. Um, are you so, into the virtual land at all? Or are you still picking up crypto voxels or any of that kind of stuff? You know, I'm not. I, I purely live in the meat universe. Like, I know there's a lot of metaverse stuff going on. And I like that the way you can, like, show art in the metaverse. I think that's cool. And I'm quite sure that this next generation of, of young people is going to spend a lot of their time uh, in these digital realms. But I don't. I just don't. Um, I got too much going on in the meat world, dude. It's just, I mean, I, I, I would go into those things and spend hours in there and thousands of dollars getting the right clothes and all that. And for what? It's just, it's not, it, you know. I've yet to buy a single piece of, of, uh, of metaverse land. I have not. Uh, yeah, the land was a, it was a good investment, but it, it I was, other... you know, I kind of regret not buying it because there was a time where I was looking at it and I think it was about, I think at the time it was 0.7 ETH or something like that in crypto voxels, which is fairly cheap by today's standards. Yeah. So. Yeah, those. I mean, I don't really know. There's a few. You know, you got the sandbox one, or I, and I, I, just, I don't know them that well. I mean, I, I think more power to people to do them. I know Rarible had good luck, like building a whole structure in there and sort of like getting people uh, involved that way. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, man, I've got a, <laughs> I got like a 50 foot fence. I've got a build at home i don't need to be in some metaverse building a weird you know electronic hippopotamus or something well the advantage being you don't have to fix the fence in crypto voxels yeah i guess <laughs> just stays nice but so, yeah i mean we do hear in the news i mean uh, facebook uh you know they're going to be entering this metaverse thing and it's gonna i was be... reading they're going to rebrand is that accurate i think it's that's accurate i mean they've, they've pretty much the Libra thing, they decided to rebrand, right? So yeah. it's no longer Libra, it's some new thing now. And I mean, Facebook just, they always take a drubbing whenever they go to Congress. I think they're just, <laughs> they, they've, they've kind of got a lot of dirt thrown on their name. Um, but yeah, kind of like Coinbase, like I, I'm i not too excited about those market entrants, but I do recognize that they're going to be bringing a lot of people and a lot of dumb money. And so you're, you know, if, if you can sell to that dumb money, you're in a good position. Yeah, I was curious about that. Maybe you know. How does an artist, you know, I don't even know. I, I don't really have that much of an interest being on Coinbase per se for NFTs, but it seems like it could be, like you said, a good market. Like, how does an artist get onto that platform? Is it a whole curated thing or is it a, how does it work? I haven't looked at it too much. From what I, you get on an email list and then it's a Ponzi. The more people you get to join the email list, the higher you get up in the priority rankings, right? Okay. So it's, it's kind of just another version You're of trying to recruit people underneath you kind of idea. Yeah. That kind of deal. Um, uh, okay. That sounds kind of greasy. Yeah. I helped the crypto, you know, crypto.com, right. That platform, they've got a lot of users too. They got into NFTs. They were actually the first one to bring Snoop into NFTs. Right. Way, you know, before the Cosmo Medici days. Um, and they just did it all wrong. They consulted with me and I, I gave them a free consult for like two hours and they just really weren't paying attention 
and they that whole thing was a was a giant um misstep you know they could have really they could have had a chance to be an open sea competitor mm-hmm. and then they dropped the ball what do you think um, they did wrong well um I don't I didn't spend a ton of time on it to analyze it. They I just don't think they knew the crypto art market. They just stumbled in too fresh. You know, basically they do what a lot of people do. Stumble in with a lot of money and grab a couple of celebrities on the way and, you know, do something quick shot. And, you know, it's a, a lot of times they make mistakes. Take Taco Bell for instance. You know, they come in, <laughs> make a bunch of noise and and they make the they're talking to a bunch of artists and they make the mistake of not identifying who their artist is right so these that guys was baffling that yeah was they truly come in, baffling i mean it's like the guy who comes into the party with shit on his pants like they're trying <laughs> they're trying their best to like fit in but they just stick out way too much and and they really need to take time to educate themselves you know we've talked about the second realm and i that at some point they're going to get smart and realize look we got to just hire curators right we got to hire a second realm or a coldy or a daniel pan or a somebody to guide me through this world because there's a lot of money at stake uh you can screw up and things are moving very fast and in the two months it's going to take you to tool up you'll have already missed opportunities well and they'll be appealing to a, a, a market that doesn't exist anymore right 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 yeah interesting huh wild so tell me what's uh, coming up in the next little while here, other than your baby due in January, I think you said, or was it February? Baby due in January, yeah. That's um, yeah, I, we've got a bunch of house. I'm basically doing a bunch of I, I, NFTs have given me the ability to own a home, which is really okay. Nice. That's I'm awesome. Forty something years old, rented my whole life. Even when I was a lawyer, I never made decent money. Isn't that funny? Uh, I just mentioned the baby coming, and there it is, crying. In there, the there, there, there he is. Um, <laughs> So I've got a lot of stuff going on with the house and I really enjoy it. You know, my days were spent kind of going between this virtual, you know, selling NFTs, making sure I've got the cheapest version, the floor model of this and that interface with different people trying to get products off the ground. And then, you know, this physical work around the house, whether it's hanging up art or, um, you know, actually, you know, working on the yard and things. And I, it's my first time in my life. I've had that opportunity being a renter. It's like, you know, you don't even want to get a new dishwasher because you're like, I don't want to give it to this jerk, <laughs> you know? And now it's like, I go to Home Depot and I'm like, give me the the the, the nice dishwasher, right? And it's fun to, to get into these projects and crawl under the house and do gas lines and all that. So yeah, long story <laughs> short, I'm like getting to do home improvement stuff, which I'm really, I'm really enjoying. That's awesome. You know, it's, yeah, it's not what I, I would not identify that as fun, but I can see what you're, where you're getting at is there's, um an enjoyment that it's something that matters to you because you're the one that's in control of it you're the one that's got custody over it and you know it's your in your best interest for it to do well or for well and my attitude about the house is the same as my attitude about a lot of the art i own is that it's not mine to have and hold and keep i i it's in my custody until i give it to the buyer right right whenever i do something Whenever I say something about a piece of art online, I'm thinking about the influence on the potential buyer. And whenever I do something around the house, it's like, I want to think about how that's going to affect the buyer, right? So instead of spending a bunch of money on paint that they might not like the color, I'm going to go buy a nice ass water heater and slap it in and install it really well because everybody agrees a nice water heater is important. So just like in art where I'm kind of thinking about the buyer and, and how to best service their needs with the house, I'm constantly thinking, okay, well, you know, when the buyer walks in, what are they going to see? Yeah, it's true. It's what's funny is in my life experience where I have owned previous homes, 
we didn't really work on making the house look really nice until we were ready to sell it. And I always thought that's kind of a shame. You live yeah. in this house for how many years where you're kind of like, eh, I should fix that. Eh, yeah. I should fix that. Yeah. And then finally it's time to sell it. You finally fix it. And you're like, oh, I actually really like it. It's like, why did I wait all this time to make this something that I would enjoy living in, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's exactly my reasoning of my wife. She'll, she's more willing to suffer through things that work kind of half-assed. And I'm like, look, <laughs> take the dishwasher. We're going to replace it before we sell the place, right? Right. Okay, well, let's replace it now and use it for a couple of years rather than replace it right before we leave. Exactly. And that, that it's just gone. logic makes sense. <laughs> yeah. It's true. Really interesting. Uh, any uh, Anything you want to add here? You know, uh, Anything you're excited about coming up in the next little bit? Well, keep an eye on my Twitter. I got a, I got an old car. I got a classic car mm -hmm. after the super rare dropped, uh, you know, the rares, I rares, I had a, a little extra flow and I knew a buddy, I got a 39 Ford coupe. So that's my, oh. you know, you talk about physical art. That's uh, a, a physical piece of art that I'll be working on over the next few years. Uh, you know, going to slam it, airbag it, all that good stuff. Oh, I'm not going nice. to chop not going to chop the body, not going to touch the body at all, but just get a, you know, nice frame and engine situation going. So yeah, keep an eye on that. Uh, I'll post pictures every now and then. Cool. Yeah. Are you, a, are you really handy with cars or is this like a, a learning process? I I've done a bit. I've rebuilt an engine before. I've had a couple of Corvettes in my life. So I know a bit, I'm not like a black belt, but um, you know, I, I know enough to know what I can do and be able to do it. And then when there's a project that somebody else needs to do, I know enough to go and pay them the money and get it done. Right. Um, but yeah, I can weld and stuff. So uh, it's kind of something I foresee doing with Felix over the next few years. So uh, that's, that's their name for your vehicle. No, that's my kid. Felix. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, I thought you'd get named your car. <laughs> no, 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 that's just the coupe. But yeah, he, he has fun with it too. So we'll, that's yeah, we'll awesome. teach him how to, how to hammer on metal and stuff like that. You know, that's, that's really valuable because, you know, now don't get me wrong. I love my father and he's great, but he was very handy. Okay. He, when he was, uh, when I was a kid, he was building stuff with uh, his brothers and they would build trailers and they would build like, all kinds of like RV stuff. He was yeah. really great with this stuff. He never taught me. I was never around him when he was doing those things. You know, I was off doing, I don't know what else, biking around with my brother or playing video games or drawing, right? And I, I, I kind of regret that he didn't go, hey, Darren, come along and help me build this stuff today. Because I'm still like horrible with that kind of stuff. Like I'm intimidated by yeah. mechanical stuff. You know, I'm not comfortable with, you know, uh, any of that. I don't have an instinct for it. You know, well, I have to say it was a little bit of an uncomfortable experience as a kid, because most of the time I was holding the flashlight and receiving the swear words. Was... <laughs> <laughs> but you but while you're holding the flashlight, you kind of see what's going on. Yeah. Right? And, and so between like ages five and ten, yeah, held the flashlight, you know, listen to swear words and you know, <laughs> learn some stuff, I guess. But no, that's awesome for you to do that with your son. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm very feeling very blessed. Uh, my relationship with NFTs is a nerd to great benefit in my life, and I'm endlessly, endlessly grateful. Yeah, it's awesome. It was really good catching up with you. Yeah, you too, D. I'm I'm so glad. I mean, I remember when you were just first starting out, <laughs> yeah. and you were sort of more journalist than artist, and it's it's just awesome to see you take on the role as artist and fully own it. And I mean, a new 10K coming out. You're really that's. That's that's the mark of the beast, right? If you got your own 10k, you're you're in. <laughs> so I I don't want to say I'm proud of you, but I just I'm I'm um it's awesome to watch all that you've accomplished, and you know in a way it feels feels good because I kind of like yeah I knew it I saw D was talented from day one and it it, it came true. 
I really appreciate that. Yeah, no, it's awesome talking with you and catching up with you. And I wish you all the best, especially with this uh, new kid on the way. And wow, that's awesome. Good for you. Yeah, thanks, Steve. Thanks for the time today. I really appreciate you. Right on. Okay, take care. Take it easy. Thanks again for listening to the Non-Fungible Podcast. See you again soon.